Welcome to the Fund the People podcast. I'm your host, Rusty Stahl. We all know that philanthropy and nonprofits do an extraordinary amount of good, but we also know that our system isn't working as well as it should. We all know that people drive change, but too many nonprofit people feel less like drivers and more like roadkill. Since the year 2000, I've worked in organized philanthropy and nonprofits where I've focused on leadership and professional development. I've studied the lack of investment in our nonprofit leaders and workers and how our systems of grant making, fundraising, governance, and management reinforce the lack of support or can transform it. When we invest in our people, we can create a more equitable and effective sector fueled by rising levels of performance, impact, and sustainability to bring that vision to life. In 2014, I helped to launch Fund the People, the national campaign to maximize investment in America's nonprofit workforce. Our podcast shares critical ideas, stories, and conversations about how organizations and their funders are strengthening their work by investing in the people who do the work. So buckle up, start your engines, and let's get driving. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fund the People podcast. I'm your host, Rusty Stahl. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. For those of you tuning back in, thanks for coming back. Today's episode was recorded on Wednesday, October 13th. I had the chance to sit down with Abby Walensky and Ashley Pessy of a social service agency in Pittsburgh called Auberly. They are two extraordinary nonprofit professionals and leaders, and you'll hear about their own journeys as well as the really exemplary talent investing efforts um, by Auberly and how they support and develop their interns and their staff. I think that this conversation I had with, with Ashley and Abby, it really offers a practical testimony that brings to life some of the theory of talent investing and some of the theory uh, that you might read about in uh, bridge span reports or in um, management literature more generally. It really uh, crystallizes the importance of um, building a strong roadway for nonprofit workers to be exposed to nonprofits, have entry points and access points to work and networking and getting that experience, and then coming into an organization that is welcoming and supportive and getting those opportunities to grow and develop both professionally and personally and to move up and advance and stay and have reason to stay and to connect with the work, to have agency in making decisions within teams about the goals of their work. So I think you'll find it enlightening. I think you'll find that this offers a a bright spot, an exemplar um, that you can use at your nonprofit or your foundation to hold up and say, this is what some folks are doing in the field. In particular, I think it's really interesting how they've raised the floor of wages multiple times without any external 
forces telling them they need to do it or giving them resources to do it. They've just done it multiple times. It's such an important story to tell. So enjoy the episode. A couple years ago, I got the opportunity to go out to Pittsburgh to talk with some funders and some nonprofits. And while I was preparing to talk about talent investing to folks in Pittsburgh, I said, give me some names of people to call in town who, so I can understand a little bit more about the sector um, and the issues in Pittsburgh. And I ended up talking to uh, the CEO of Auberly and learned that he had intentionally raised the floor on wages um, a number of times without waiting for a funder or a government or some outside force uh, to do so. And I was so impressed with that, that it stuck in my mind. And so as I was um, thinking about this season of the podcast, I really wanted to bring that story into the show. So I reached out and ended up luckily not getting the CEO, but getting um, a couple other um, team members from Auberly to join us today. And so I'm glad to have Ashley Pessy and Abby Walensky here with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. We're excited to be here. So um, Ashley Pessy is a social worker and program manager of the Employment Institute at Auberly. And Abby Walensky is an MPA and director of the Employment Institute at Auberly. Thank you for your service in the organization and in the community. Um, you guys have been at work throughout the pandemic and kept things going. And I think that's, that's such an incredible testament to the work you do and to your organization and to the work that the nonprofit workforce does in communities. So why don't we just kick things off by tell us um, a little bit about Auberly. What's, what's it all about? Sure. So Auberly was founded in 1952 by a woman named Pauline Auberly. Um, and she founded Auberly as an orphanage for young German orphaned Catholic boys. Um, I say that because very clearly there aren't too many of those around anymore, very specific. Um, and since then, Auberly um, has grown to be a community-based organization. Our mission is to build strong individuals, families, and communities. Um, and we do that by serving about 4,000 individuals every year, individuals and families every year, um, through over 20 program areas. So those program areas range from workforce development to behavioral health. Um, we're the largest non-kinship foster care provider in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. Um, we also operate the 412 Youth Zone, which is the center for all youth aging out of foster care and youth um, who are struggling with housing um, in the county. Um, and really, really any human service that you can think of, Auberly offers. Thank you, Abby, for that. And tell us a little bit about what each of you do. I gave your titles, but um, you want to talk a little bit more about what they mean, Ashley? Yeah. So hi, everyone. Um, I'm Ashley Pussy, and I'm the project manager of the Auberly Employment Institute. I am an MSW in macro social work, so community organizing social action. Um, and I'm, I'm currently working to obtain my PhD right now. So fingers crossed in April, I walk across the stage. Um, but what I do at Auberly is um, my program specifically um, is on the north side. Um, in the north side communities of Pittsburgh, um, we 
received some funding from the Buell Foundation. And we've been over there three years now working with uh, Northside residents with any barriers to employment. You know, I'm working with people that just need basic support with resumes to somebody who needs to be, you know, communicated with every single day until they get the job, but then they're good to go. So we work with a wide range of clients over there. Um, and then, you know, I'm supports with other uh, programs that the Employment Institute offers. So I'm kind of there to support um, the team, but my focus is with the North side. How about you, Abby? Tell us about your job. Sure. I'm the director of the Employment Institute at Auberly. Um, so, of course, I oversee Ashley's program, the Northside Employment Institute, um, but I also oversee the various other workforce development initiatives of the agency. So, the Employment Institute works with any individual age 14 and older facing a barrier to employment. And we help them not only obtain employment, but really maintain employment because we know that when we're getting people living wage jobs, we're breaking cycles of poverty and socioeconomic distress. Um, so we, that's who the Employment Institute targets. Um, we serve about 600 people in our program alone. Um, and most of the barriers that we see are around criminal backgrounds, individuals struggling with homelessness, young people aging out of foster care, and individuals struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. So those are our really four main barriers that we very often see. We try and place them on paths to living wage jobs through establishing pipelines with regional employers that we know have good paying yet entry-level positions and for one reason or another, you know, can't keep them filled. So we're placing these individuals to break those cycles. And how many people do you manage, Abby? Sure. I manage 11 people. So we have eight case managers on our team, two interns, and we have a case aide on our team as well. Well, I want to um, invite each of you to briefly give us just a taste of your career journey, at least to give people a sense of where you're coming from into the role. So let's, let's go back to you, Abby, um, to tell us your career arc. Sure. So my Auberly journey um, started in 2013. I was on the board as a graduate student. So I was enrolled in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Pittsburgh working on my MPA. And uh, Gispia had a program called the Leadership Portfolio Program where they placed students who were interested in nonprofit management um, on the boards of various nonprofits. And at the time I was sort of waffling between urban planning and nonprofit management and wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go, was definitely convinced I was going to work in urban planning for a mayor's office or something like that. But I was placed on Auberly's board. And the second I walked through the door, I felt like it was family. I you know, felt like it was home. I felt very comfortable. I felt compelled by the mission and thought to myself in 2013 as a first year graduate student, like, how can I become a permanent part of this organization? So I networked with everyone I could. I attended every board meeting that I could. Um, and eventually a position opened up in the development department. And I started as the agency's grant writer. And I think one of the really cool things about Auberly is that they don't 
you know, force you to stay in that position. There's really a lot of room um, for growth and development and to learn on your own. Um, and so I moved on from the development department because, you know, Auberly gave me a chance to move on. And I became the deputy director of the Employment Institute about a year and a half into uh, my Auberly journey. And then just this past July, I was promoted to the director of the Employment Institute. So I think the biggest thing, lesson to take away from, you know, my journey particularly is, you know, that Auberly really doesn't sort of pigeonhole you or box you into one thing. I would have never thought I would have ended up in workforce development, but here I am and I absolutely love it. Speaking of being out of boxes, starting off as a board member <laughs> is quite an interesting, uh, unusual part of your journey, but that's really, really a cool opportunity. <laughs> Let's go over to Ashley and um, share share a little bit about your journey with us, Ashley. My journey to Auberly is one thing, but my journey to uh, social services is a whole other. Um, looking back now, there was a lot of things through my life growing up that it makes sense. Uh, I'm the oldest child. I'm always the one giving advice, you know, things like that. So when I finally found um, and realized what social work was, it kind of clicked. But, you know, my undergrad from um, Cal U is... Well, California University of PA's uh, criminal justice. Um, and I actually interned in adult probation and I really enjoyed that. My senior year of college, I was pregnant with my daughter and I decided, you know, I either had to take two more classes on campus or I could intern and I found Auberly. So I interned on the residential floor at Auberly because I'd be going to court with the kids, you know, being able to see more of the criminal justice side and it was right down the street from me, so it was really convenient. So once I interned about three weeks into it, I said, what do I have to do to stay here? I love it here. Um, I went to my supervisor um, and kind of asked him, you know, what steps do I need to do to get a job here when I graduate? Um, and he said, you know, I can offer you one part-time right now. And as long as everything goes well, you know, you graduate, you know, you're able to balance, you know, your internship and part-time, you know, I'll offer you a full-time. So I worked so hard to get that full-time position. I was actually able to, you know, graduate with a job, which was amazing. And as soon as that happened, I said, I think I'm supposed to be a social worker. This makes sense. This is clicking. I'm supposed to be here. Um, and I started to apply for grad schools pretty quick. And I uh, got my master's in social work from the uh, University of Pittsburgh, like I mentioned, um, in macro social work. And um, as soon as I completed that degree in 2018, um, I was able to move up to um, project program manager of the Employment Institute with the North Side. So I was able to start as an intern to kind of where I'm at now. And um, working at Auberly, I also teach adjunct. So through my work at Auberly, I've been able to kind of take that and teach adjunct to uh, bachelor degree students and working on my PhD. So Auberly has offered me a lot, um, not just growth in my career, but a lot of support along all these steps in my life that, you know, have continued to push me. Amazing. It's it's really quite extraordinary, and obviously, not just Auberly, but your own skill and ability and um, stick to itiveness. Um, I, I honestly don't know how you did that, <laughs> but um, so it's interesting to hear you both talk about how Auberly felt like like home, like this great place. You really wanted to be there. You really wanted to stay, and something about the culture of the place. And the supportiveness of the place pulled you in and has kept you there. So we want to go through a bunch of 
you know, specific, practical, concrete examples of how the organization works and treats its people um, that I think all add up to organizational culture. So we'll kind of come at the end of the conversation, uh, talk a little bit about how these things add up to organizational culture. Let's start with this issue of wages, which is what first struck me about Auberly. Raising the floor on wages the way Auberly has done, I personally have never seen or don't know of another nonprofit that has that has done this in such an intentional and what's the word like without waiting around for someone to push it to do it or enable it to do it. So, Abby, could you share the story of wages at Auberly? Sure. So, you know, earlier I mentioned our work in the Employment Institute is very much about breaking cycles of poverty and breaking cycles of socioeconomic distress. And that, you know, doesn't just apply to the Employment Institute. It applies across all of our programs um, at the agency. And I think one of the ways, you know, that we we do that is also by paying our staff fairly because you can't break cycles of distress for those you serve without potentially breaking that cycle for those who work at Auberly. Um, and you certainly can't pay poverty wages, um, you know, when you're doing this type of work. So I have been at Auberly for about six years now. Um, I've been involved with the organization for about eight years now. In that time, um, our CEO, executive staff, and our board um, decided to raise the wage four times. That has been really a really good, not only recruitment tool, but also a tool to really invest um, in those who work at the agency. Um, And I also really think it's important. We never closed our doors during COVID. We're still not closed. Um, Actually, on our team, it got to a point where my team members, you know, like Ashley and our other case managers actually came to me and and said, like, we can't do our jobs from home. Like our clients need us. We need to go into the community and see them face to face. Auberly added $3 an hour of hazard pay to the base rate of each employee who met with clients face to face during the COVID-19 pandemic. The county funded this hazard pay, but John Lydon, who's our CEO, and the Auberly team, they worked really hard to make sure it was allocated correctly to maximize its impact. And we also made sure to cover any employee with face-to-face time that could not access these funds. What is the minimum wage then at Auberly now? What is, do you know? Sure. So it'll be $14 an hour on November 1st. And that is actually, actually significantly up from when I began on the board in 2013. Before it was $9 an hour. And again, a lot of this was done, you know, because it was the right thing to do. And do you know, do you have a sense of how it was done? (laughs) Like how much of a fight was it with the board or within the executive team or I don't know, with other stakeholders like funders, does anybody, has, has there been resistance? How did they find the money? These are the questions that I think a lot of other nonprofit CEOs might have. Um, I think it was just done. I hate to say that. Like, I feel like there was no drama, really. Like, I think, you know, our HR director, we have a new HR director within the last two years. um, And she, you know, really believes in this initiative. And she's gone, you know, to our CEO numerous times. And, um, you know, our CEO also believes in it. So they just did it. And I think that that's what makes Aubrey so incredible is that, 
they listen to the needs of their staff and they act on it. You know, even if they don't have a funding source or even if the resources aren't there, or even if it's going to take time or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, really, really acts on it. So it was just done and he emailed out and that was it. So just do it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's turn to the beginning again. And Ashley, you started out through that internship and became a staff person and have moved up from there. So let's talk about hiring from internships because internships, especially unpaid internships, seem to be kind of the the entry point for so many people into nonprofit work and careers. And sometimes they're just crappy experiences (laughs) for so many people. So that don't lead directly to something. You know, you get that experience, but then you have to figure out where to go with it. Like it doesn't lead to a job. So can you talk about hiring from internships at Auburnly? Yeah. So one of the first things when you interview for your internship, you know, Auburnly staff, they let you know from the beginning that, you know, use this as an open interview, you know, do what you can during your internship. If you're interested in working here, you know, show up on time, ask questions, be present, you know, get the most out of this. And if this is something that you want, you know, work towards it. Starting as an intern, you know, I was given the opportunity to work part-time while interning. So I'm, my experience is a little more unique, but I was working part-time in the Employment Institute. So I was able to get paid a little bit. And then I was interning as well. So I was in two different programs um, while interning and, you know, working. So for me, you know, that was a little more unique with the situation but the department needed somebody and I kind of asked at the right time and it worked out for me, Um, you know, and then being kind of as long as you do well and you graduate and it's something you want, you know, use your time in the Employment Institute because there's going to be a position if you want it when you graduate. And I wanted it and I worked for it and I got it, Um, you know, but Auburnly is always hiring hiring internships or interns. Um, Abby was one. I want to say on our team, there was me. Our coworker, Jake, he was an intern. We had two people who recently left, but um, they were also interns. We've had three interns in the Employment Institute who went on to other programs that I can think of just right off the top of my head. Um, And I have a lot of friends who went through the Pitt um, MSW program as therapists, and now they're still at Auburnly as therapists. So um, it happens all the time. Um, I promise probably eight out of 10 people at Auburnly were hired from internships. Um, and everybody kind of has their own story of how it worked out for them, which, you know, is an amazing thing because I know when I graduated, you know, I had friends six, seven, eight months after graduation without a job. And, you know, I kind of just went out on a limb with Auburnly and was able, you know, at this point, almost eight years, you know, have a career track out of it. Yeah. And if I could just add that that's a thing that goes back 20, 30 years. We have Auburnly veterans on our team, um, you know, who've been with the agency for 25 or 30 years who were interns at one point. So hiring from internships has been, um, you know, sort of embedded in our agency culture since the beginning of time. <laughs> we have one person. I was going to say, we have one person on our team. I completely forgot he was an intern. It's been his first, it was his first job. It was his internship, first job, and he's been at Aubrey 25 years. It worked, so I completely forgot about that. It, it seems like if, if your senior folks got to the institution through those internships, they're going to understand how important it is to hi- to offer internships and to hire from them. And like, 
it's just makes sense. Like if, if this is my experience, I'm going to want to like enable that for others. We're going to talk more about kind of the career pipeline uh, within the institution. But um, one of the things that struck me that you all shared with me in our preparatory call was about flexibility. So you get hired through your internship and then you land there. And, and it sounds like, you know, actually there was some flexibility already during your internship where they said, you know, you can work part-time in another place. There's nothing wrong with that within the institution. And then, you know, if this is working for you, we'll, we'll try to figure out a role for you um, after your internship. Can you talk more about once you're sort of fully working there, um, what, what the flexibility has meant to you? Flexibility with, at least with our department, um, has been probably the number one reason why I really haven't tried to leave in the past eight years. You know, I remember, you know, some of my first advice when I started working was, you know, you never stay at your first job, but now here I am eight years later because of honestly the flexibility. Um, I have a five-year-old now flexibility around just having her at home up to this year, um, being sick, things like that. Um, you know, having a family, I have a mom who is actually in personal care. So trying to be able to figure out some things and all this happened while working at Aubrey, um, some personal things that have come up in my life that I was able to kind of work around. But the amazing thing about our position with the Employment Institute, at least, is, you know, we make our schedules around us and what our clients can do. So, if, you know, there's some days that our clients really can't meet till 11 o'clock a.m. We're going to work, start at 11 o'clock and go meet them. If we have clients that work at, you know, can meet at six, we're going to go meet them at 6 a.m. So the nice thing is, is we can kind of work our schedule around what fits us as, you know, case managers are the best and our clients the best. Um, so when it comes to like day to day, you know, we're never going to be in the office for eight hours. Um, you know, one day I start at eight, another day I might start at, start at 10 a.m. just based off that. Now, as for the bigger picture, at least with my, you know, experience with Auberly, I actually transition from full-time to part-time while in grad school, because with your MSW, you have to have a thousand hours of internship. So Abby really worked with me that I was able to work part-time at Auburly for six months until I graduated. Well, so I was able to keep my internship. Then when I graduated, I was able to come back and or be back there full time. Um, you know, being an adjunct professor, there's times during the day that I have to teach for 50 minutes. And, you know, I kind of work that around. So I know Monday, Wednesday, Friday from one to one fifty, I block out for, you know, teaching, but then I can make that 50 minutes up somewhere else throughout my day or throughout my week. So the flexibility is amazing. <laughs> that all really gives you because it works for you. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, especially with those family commitments of kids and aging parents. Uh, and then the pandemic, of course, uh, on top of that has, um, I imagine, has uh, made it even more complicated. Yeah, for sure. I know, you know, Abby mentioned, you know, that transition from working from home didn't really you know, work for us while that was. So we were back in the office pretty quickly, but, you know, there was flexibility around that as well. Um, you know, if there's a day, a couple of days that you don't go out into the community, working from home was never an issue. It's still actually not an issue. We can work from home as long as, you know, we're getting our clients what they need and the jobs out there for our clients, you know, connecting them. So um, it's still extremely flexible. <laughs> So I want to then take us kind of 
I guess, along this career trajectory and talk about this Rising Star Academy. Abby, can you tell folks what it is? And you've both been through it, so you can maybe talk about your experiences as well. Yeah, so the Rising Star Academy, each team at Auburly, of which, like I said earlier, there are over 20, um, identifies top performers um, who are individuals who are really motivated to learn and grow within their position. Um, But not only within their position, like Ashley mentioned, there's a lot of working across departments at Auburly. So, you know, not only are they willing to learn in their department, but they're interested in other departments. They're interested in how, um, you know, those departments work together. They might be interested in supervising people or what the agency budget is like, um, you know, and, and they really want to learn all these aspects about the agency. So each um, team director identifies these individuals as being a rising star. Um, and then they are placed into what's called the Rising Star Academy, which is really a series of workshops taught by other Auburly employees, um, you know, who have risen, I guess is, is the right term to use. They're risen into, you know, management director or executive level positions. Um, and sometimes we have outside guest speakers as well. But really, um, the purpose of the Rising Star Academy is to make sure that these individuals have the skills and the agency-wide understanding to to be able to move into management or director positions, um, you know, and it's really key in terms of succession planning, you know, because one of us might not be here forever, um, you know, so really to be able to develop that talent and give people extra projects to be able to retain them, um, you know, and give them new challenges and new and exciting things for them to work on, um, you know, and with that, there also comes, um, you know, conferences that they can travel to and different events in the community that they can go to, different meetings that they might be involved in that they normally would not sit in on. Like they might be invited to a director's meeting or a board meeting to present on what they're learning in the Rising Star Academy. So really it's stretch assignments. Um, and then through that, they're also you know having one-on-one supervision with their direct supervisor to really um, break down what they're learning in the Rising Star Academy and figure out how they can apply it um, in their day-to-day. So um, I, I guess, you know, have risen from the Rising Star Academy. Ashley has as well. Um, and I think it's really important in understanding that agency context and sort of the nonprofit world in which Auburly operates. Can you talk about how the Rising Star Academy supports strategic planning in the organization? One of the things that really attracted me to Auburly um, are the unique and innovative ways we do things. Um, so... One of the really unique things about the agency is that we strategic plan differently. So strategic planning starts on the front line and the Rising Star Academy participants go to the frontline staff and we say, what's going on with your program? What's going well? What's not? Where do you see um, you know, your program in three to five years. And we ask just those basic questions. Um, and oftentimes the frontline staff, they will say, you know, oh, this camera hasn't been working or, oh, this light bulb has been out or, oh, I could really use maintenance, you know, to move my desk. Like that would make me so much happier three to five years from now. And they say these little things. So, you know, the Rising Star Academy participants who have interviewed the frontline staff then go back um, to the board and we address all of those, you know, sort of little issues. 
And then the Rising Star Academy participants go back to the frontline staff. And now because those initial needs have been addressed, the staff is able to think, oh, you know, three to five years from now, I really would like the Employment Institute to add this national certification because it's so important to this career, you know, that could break the cycle of poverty for someone. Um, you know, and the, and the Rising Star Academy participants get those answers from the frontline staff and then the strategic planning process. Uh, it begins and the writing process really begins. So the Rising Star Academy participants are able to help in the writing of that, that the strategic plan is then presented to the managers, followed by the directors, followed by the board. Um, so, you know, it's really driven by not only frontline staff, but also these individuals who want to learn and grow um, you know, and think about the agency in new ways. Um, and I really think that's how our strategic plan has become so innovative. And, um, you know, it's really driven by the people who care about the organization and by the people who are working within the organization. And it's also, you know, you know, the Rising Star Academy leaders and participants, you know, it gives them another opportunity to be able to learn agency-wide and apply that learning in a new way. Yeah, super interesting, um, and I think demonstrates uh, a number of different principles about cross-departmental learning and bottom-up thinking and planning and um, creating those cross-cutting conversations um, between frontline people and kind of people in mid-management. You know, in so many institutions, there are these boundaries and walls and cultural distinctions between you know, departmental silos and hierarchical silos. And so it seems like the way that's being done cuts across those in a number of ways. So we're going to turn now to talking about professional development, because that's something that a lot of our listeners are always interested in. How, do, how can I get my organization to invest in, in my own learning and growth? And so Rising Star Academy is obviously one example, but Ashley, I wanted to, um, to turn to you to talk about other, you know, beyond that, what are some of the other ways that you've experienced um, professional development in your career there at Auburnly? Yeah, so there is always opportunity to do something um, at Auburly. You know, one of my biggest things is, um, you know, during my end of the year supervision, Abby will always say to me, like, I don't want you to get bored. So what can we do here to, you know, have you earn another certification or attend a conference? You know, let me know what we can do to help you, you know, um, find a new topic of interest or whatever it may be that can support not only you, but like the work you're doing. So, um, you know, that even just having that conversation, it's focused on what I'm looking for, for my growth, which is always great. So I kind of come with ideas on certain conferences I found that I'm interested in going to. Um, you know, I found the certification and as long as we can kind of fit it in the budget, you know, we'll make it happen. Um, but through Auburly, I've been able to attend um, a conference. So it was in Florida, the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. And that was an amazing experience. Um, I went with um, multiple people in the organization of all different levels and our CEO. So, you know, we attended our sessions and then we bonded together over dinner, which was really nice. So sometimes, you know, just in that moment as well, that was an opportunity for people that we always don't get to see walking around at work. So that was great. And then I received... Um, through Employment Institute, we work with OVR clients. So ACRE was a great certification that Abby um, has all of 
I think we're pretty much up. All of our case managers at this point are certified in ACRE. Um, so it's Association of Community Rehabilitation Educators. So, you know, really focused on how do we work with the OVR population when it comes to employment and supporting our clients once they get jobs, prior to getting jobs, every step of the way. And then I recently uh, was certified in DDI, which is really great. It was Development Dimensions um, International. And the way HR did that, I thought it was really cool. They kind of just sent out an email and was like, hey, we're looking for trainers. Does anybody want to get certified? Um, you know, fill out this application and, you know, we'll pick a couple people. So from that, you know, six of us were chosen. I thought that was a really great certification because we got trained in a, a lot of topics. Um, one in particular was diversity and inclusion, which I was really excited to have part of our new training. And now the six of us who are all at different levels in the organization, director level, manager level, and frontline staff, um, we kind of get to come together and teach these trainings, kind of like Abby mentioned, um, you know, with the academy, but we get to teach to our coworkers throughout the whole organization. So there's always opportunity for growth, sometimes we have to find it ourselves and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in this. Is there something that, you know, Aubrey can do to support me? And sometimes they come to you and say, hey, you know, you probably should get certified in this. It's a really great certification. So um, it's kind of coming from both ends, you know, with how growth with, the, you know, certification development works at Aubrey. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, the example of being able to go to dinner during a conference with people who you wouldn't normally get to sit down with and bond with like that is terrific. And then these certifications, uh, I imagine not only being able to teach your colleagues and teach with your colleagues, but also, you know, that adds to your resume and to your, you know, um, body of knowledge and sort of marketable skills, if you will. Abby, from your perspective as a manager of a team, can you talk about what that looks like offering professional development and also, you know, building your team. What does team building look like there in your team and, and across the organization? Definitely. Team building um, is very important. You know, I think in the work that we do, it can be very exhausting and emotionally challenging. And there are certainly days when, you know, you might not want to come back the next day. But really, I think at the end of the day, it's our close-knit teams that bring us back and lift us up, you know, and really help us along. Um, and one of the ways that we make sure that we're so close knit, you know, is not only the formal things like every other week we have a team meeting and we're talking about all the initiatives we're working on and all the goals we have to reach. Um, but we also carve out intentional time for team building. And that might look like, you know, we have a pizza oven on campus, so we might just fire up the pizza oven and eat pizza together one day. Um, but it can also mean, um, you know, going off campus to do activities and setting the work aside for a couple of hours. So we have a little bit of a unique goal planning process um, at Auburnly where we, every year, um, we choose goals um, and it's really driven by the team. The team chooses those goals. You know, it might be my writing that eventually goes into the CEO, but the team has chosen them. And then at the end of the year, when we achieve those goals, the team gets to pick a reward, you know, because they truly are their goals that they achieved. 
So the Employment Institute team this year, um, whether or not the Pirates are good or not, is totally debatable. But they chose, they wanted to spend a September afternoon. There was a Thursday afternoon game. And we all went to the Pirates game. Um, and we just relaxed, tried to turn our phone off. Um, of course, with my team, there's always someone on the phone with a client at a team event. And I'm like, that is why they're so incredible. You know, I tell them to relax for a couple hours and they're still helping their clients when they're you know supposed to be relaxed. But we are very intentional about setting that that time apart. And I know other teams at Auburly, I feel like our 412 USON team is always doing team building as well. Um, you know, they just had an Olympics in our backyard. We're, we're in Auburly's backyard where they did, you know, sort of a competition type of thing. And then our housing team, we actually have a high high ropes course. I saw them out there doing the high ropes course. So they were 30 feet in the air as a team of 20 bonding that way and trying to figure out how they communicate as a team. So it's very important to set that time aside because our work is so challenging, but it's also really rewarding when you achieve those goals and all your grants are achieved at the end of the year. Um, you know, and you can just really celebrate and bond as a team. It strikes me as so important that Teams are accomplishing their own goals, not goals that were set out for them by some higher ups. But if that's true, I mean, that ownership over goals um, is such an important piece of agency, you know, personal and team agency. And I think speaks to the management literature about about that ownership and agency being so critical to employee engagement. And it's so so different from so many folks in the sector who feel they're in the work, they come to the work for the mission, but then they kind of get alienated from the work because it gets, especially in things like social work, I think so much paperwork, so much measuring outcomes and and sort of um, these goals that are set up from foreign entities, you know, uh, like governments or funders not generated from the needs of clients or of the staff. So I think that's a pretty, a pretty remarkable distinction and um, it's, it's worth celebrating not only achieving one's own goals, but being, having that opportunity to set them um, for the organization. Definitely. And I, I keep those goals on my wall um, in my office. I look at them every day and I can truly point to all five of our goals this year and identify a name um, on my team of someone who wrote that goal, thought of that goal, and then led the achievement of that goal. And I also think it's really important to note that at least my team goals, none of our goals are what's in any contract or required by a foundation or a government. They truly are goals to continue to push our team forward and innovate to meet the needs of our clients. Um, you know, so that's extra reason to celebrate, like you mentioned. So let's talk about organizational culture as we come toward the end of our time here. Okay, so Ashley, um, let's talk about organizational culture from your experience at, at Auburly. Organizational culture starts from your first day of orientation. Um, so our orientation, now um, 
now that's back in person, I may makes it a little easier to connect with people that way, but your, um, training is with all the new hires of the organization. So that is an all departments that's intern. So you are walking in already through your first day with, you know, 15 other people in their first day, which is, I think a really great thing that Auburnly does because, you know, we're, we're all in the same spot at that point and we're all nervous, but being there together, you know, kind of calms your nerves and kind of helps you throughout the week of training. Um, another really great thing that we do during that week is uh, the managers and directors, our CEO, they come down um, during one of the sessions and they talk to all the new hires. Um, you know, John will come down, um, our directors, they eat lunch together. So it's a very relaxed environment. They're able to ask questions. Um, you know, HR recently added where frontline workers and manager levels also come in. Um, so, you know, we're able to you know, maybe help somebody who might have been a little too anxious to ask their director a question. We're kind of able to be there and set, you know, um, I don't want to say a boundary, but being able to kind of calm their nerves and answer things, you know, a little differently than maybe a director would have, right? Um, not that it would have been said any differently, but coming from somebody who might be in their position, you know, that's supporting. Um, so I think that's a really great thing that all really does is they take the time with all those first couple of days of starting at the organization to um, allow new hires to get comfortable with the organization. Some other things that we do were trauma-informed care, which is really great. So through our training, we go through that. And it's really a mindset that, you know, we want our organization to have, um, you know, kind of shifting from what's wrong with you to what happened to you, right? So being in this field, we have to look at the whole person as a whole, not just a situation that may have happened or a mistake that happened. We have to look at the person as a whole, what got them to this point, right? So we're trained in that area as well. Um, a personal facade that I remember <laughs> from Auburly was walking down the hall for about three months and everybody just saying hi to me. And I'm just like, you know, walking by with my head down, my little wave hi. Um, and I always thought that was like so nice that random people are saying hi to me because I have no idea who they are. And this was back, you know, a couple of years ago when we had more residential on the program. So the building had a lot more people kind of walking in and out. And um, now I'm the person that is saying hi to the new hires as they walk down the hall and they're probably like, who is this lady <laughs> talking to me? But it's interesting that this cycle that I didn't even realize until recently like has supported me to get to be that person that can support where I was eight years ago. So our culture, you know, at Auburly, it's comfortable, it's safe. You know, I truly believe that we can talk to, you know, our directors, our managers, our CEO. He always says his doors open, you know, to go up to just feel comfortable to have a conversation. Um, I think it's, I think it's great. <laughs> Yeah, the open door policy is is interesting too. Um, so, how do you all think? Kind of all of these elements we've talked about the the increasing wages, the hazard pay. Uh, we've talked about hiring from internships, flexibility, rising star academy, professional development, team building. You know, how would you describe? I mean, you described it as comfortable and safe, Ashley. But are there other ways you think about? how all of this adds up to and comes from the organizational culture. I have always thought of Auberly as one big family. We always say like, welcome to the Auberly family when you come, you know, to your orientation. And I actually really think that's true. 
part of our trauma-informed care model is also recognizing that staff come to this work with our own traumas and our own challenges and our own needs. Um, you know, and a lot of that plays back into that flexibility and being able to work through those things and have that family and, and do those sorts of things. But it also, um, you know, as being trauma-informed care, it really creates that supportive environment to work through some of those personal challenges that you might be having. And, and that's what the family is there for too. Um, you know, and as a person who I'm not from Pittsburgh originally, you know, I'm from the Eastern portion of the state. So I, my family's five hours away. So having that sort of like family environment and going into work means a lot to someone, you know, like me who I don't have any family that lives, you know, within just a short car right away. Um, you know, I have to truly go across the whole state. Um, so that's really, you know, all, all of those topics that you mentioned really just feeds into this family like culture. We might be crazy sometimes, but you know, we, we definitely feel like one big family and we work through those challenges and we move ahead together. So, you know, one of the things that is critical to our talent investing ideas that fund the people is what we call talent justice, um, investing in intersectional racial equity. So I wanted to um, briefly talk about it. And Ashley, um, you already talked about the DDI trainings. I was curious to hear, you know, how all these investments, any and all of these investments in this organizational culture um, at Auburnly are uh, working to advance racial equity in the organization. Um, so Ashley, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Auburnly does a lot. Um, you know, DDI is one thing, um, but to just go into a little more detail with that exactly, you know, like I mentioned, we were all on different levels in the organization, director, manager, and um, frontline worker, key, you know, case manager level. Um, but that is a diverse, um, uh, diversity on gender, race, ethnicity. So we, um, that allows us, you know, out of these six people to figure out what trainings make the most sense for us to teach and to be a part of, um, you know, something else that Auburnly developed um, was uh, challenging conversations for change, um, which I thought was an amazing <laughs> addition to the organization. Um, I'm pretty sure they meet weekly and they have conversations around what more can Auburnly do specifically around um, diversity and inclusion. Um, I've walked by and I've heard some conversations from my coworker um, who sits um, on that committee and just hearing what they're talking about as, you know, walking through the hallway and listening, you know, it's definitely something that staff should be a part of and really, you know, talk about needs that they feel as if should happen. You know, I, I talk all the time how I'm a straight white female, right? So having a chance for opportunity for, you know, people who aren't a straight white female um, to talk about things that they need, you know, it's important for any organization to do that because it's not cookie cutter for everybody, you know? Um, so I think even just starting these conversations at Auburnly and adding the DDI training and, you know, um, com challenging conversations for change really allows us to remove what cookie cutters could have been at Auburnly and allow it to be one, you know, a diversity of cookie cutters. So a lot of cookie talk right there, but. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um, people have radically different experiences in life and in, in organizations and of organizational culture. And um, in, in our talent justice 
research, we heard that organizational culture is a major barrier for many people of color, um, people who are new Americans, or just people coming from, like you said, different perspectives. And if I could add one more thing, Rusty, I really forgot. So with Auberly, you know, we also hire from experience. Um, We've taken a lot of having to have an education, like specific requirement off of a lot of our job, um, job postings, you know, so we're not just looking at college degrees, masters, you know, bachelor's, masters, PhDs, you know, we're talking more on experience, you know, uh, we have a coworker on our team who has 30, 40 years of experience and just, you know, the wisdom that came from him, not even having to go to college, you know, for whatever reason it was, his experience has made up (laughs) for that, you know, in so many ways. Um, And I think that's also a really great thing that Aubrey did because, you know, not everybody has the means for higher education, but experience, I truly believe is just as good or better. Yeah, just as good or better. And that says it. I know I found it interesting to look around on your website at some of the annual reports and the framing of of the organization and its goals. I was curious, Abby, if there are reports, um, other products or or things coming out that folks might be interested in knowing about, whether they're in the Pittsburgh area or or not. Sure. So on our website um, right now is our annual report from last year, which was 2020. So um, hopefully hot off the presses here in about a month or so, our annual report for 2021, um, the year that we just closed, will be released. Um, We have our annual board meeting um, the first Wednesday of November, and there is a public portion to that. You know, so people are definitely welcome to check that out. But also, you know, I think taking a look at that annual 2020 report and then when the 2021 report is released online, a lot has changed um, within the last year. A lot of successes have happened, Um, you know, so definitely would recommend checking those reports out and seeing how the agency is growing and changing. I think one thing I forgot to mention at the top of the show is that Aubrey has been named uh, a great place to work nine times by the Pittsburgh Business Times. And the ninth time was was just recently, you told me that that that, that came out. So uh, I think that's that's striking uh, data point there um, and speaks to all the things you all have shared uh, today. So Ashley, I am informed that you are the social media guru on your team. So can you tell our listeners um, how to connect uh, with Auberly? Yeah, so we have our website, um, auberly.org. Um, that's where you can see all of our programs, um, our location, everything on, on there. Um, we have our Instagram at Auberly Official, and then our Facebook is Auberly. How do you spell Auberly? How do you spell it? A U B E R L E. Great. All right. Well, thank you both for your work uh, in general through the pandemic in particular. Um, And thanks for your time today and for sharing all of these important um, insights with us. And I'm I'm wishing you the best in your PhD work, Ashley, and um, uh, and, and everything else uh, for both of you. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for listening to Fund the People, a podcast with me, Rusty Stahl. 
where we amplify how and why philanthropy should support the nonprofit workforce. For links to the resources that were mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes and more at fundthepeople.org backslash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you enjoyed the episode or you're a regular listener, please share the podcast with your network or at least with one or two colleagues who you believe would find it valuable. Thanks for all you do every day for our community and our country through your nonprofit work. Stick with it, keep your tank full, and take care of one another.